make a deal with Netflix and you don't have money that comes into you forever. You get paid and then money 20% more or 30% more, but you that's it. It didn't come natural to me. There's so many things that I think about now I wish I had known when I was younger. What I believe resonates with people who are particularly now is content that has some sort of meaning to it. It's more than just pure entertainment. And so suddenly MTV was the only thing it seemed in the whole world and all of Hollywood and everybody else was taking their cues from this startup. I did not know a single writer when I became a writer. I think if you're trying to become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult. Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. Hey, everybody, and welcome. I am Kaya Alexander. I am your host of the Hollywood Wolfpack podcast. So I first met our special guest today through a literary agent, a friend of mine, who said, read this book, it's going to change your life. I was as skeptical as you are. I read two books a week. Everyone says their book will change your life. It's like never true. Well, this one actually did. In fact, had I not read it, I wouldn't have built my company, started the entertainment business school, and I wouldn't even be hosting this podcast that book was Blue Fishing, and the author is Steve Sims. I called my lit agent friend Scott back and said, I got to meet Steve. Why? Because Steve didn't just tell me or teach me what to think. He taught me how to think, to think creatively and in an analog way in our digital world. He is an expert in things like making a genuine human connection, standing out from the pack, living from your deepest passion and how to frame failure and get up from the hardest blows and reinvent yourself. And the pandemic forced all that, all of us, right, to do that. And I'm sure you're thinking about the ways you want to reinvent yourself and the life you want to lead that feels most meaningful and all the shit in the way of you living that life or in Hollywood, selling your work, building a name for yourself so you get access to the war chests that enable you to put your biggest visions and stories on screen. So let me tell you a little bit about what Steve is like. I just got back from a trip to Taos with my 11-year-old son, Atticus, and we forgot his asthma medication. It didn't make it into the bag transfer on our way there, and Taos is at 7,000 feet. Well, he had a horrible asthma attack, a terrifying one, the kind like as mom that you dread with all your heart. And I rushed the med uh, the medication to the pharmacy, but like we still had hours to wait. So my friends suggested we buy him some canned oxygen. I don't know if you know that this is a thing, but you can buy pure canned oxygen at mountaineering stores. So I went and dropped 50 bucks on a couple of cans and rushed back. He put the can up to his face and started to breathe and calm down and regulate. And within a few minutes, he was, he was stable. He was like breathing great. Mom, he said, you got to try this. And I took a breath from the can and discovered that the air I've been breathing my whole life isn't as life-giving as what was in the can, this pure oxygen. I felt energized and vigorous and totally alive in seconds. I got a shot of pure life and it was eye-opening. That's Steve. Steve is the can of oxygen. You think your life is like, okay, but maybe missing a few elements somewhat. You can't quite put your finger on it. And then you read one of Steve's books and you get this mainline shot of oxygen to your system that jolts you to life and says, this is how to live the life that you really want. This is how to think differently about what you're going for and get results. Let me tell you more about Steve. Do you know anybody that's worked with Sir Elton John or Elon Musk? sent people down to see the wreck of the Titanic on the seabed and made it back up safely, or closed museums in Florence for a private dinner party and then had Andrea Bocelli serenade them while they eat their pasta? You do now. Quoted as the real life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, Steve Sims is a best-selling author with Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, and his new awesome book, Go for Stupid, which I read a couple of days ago, and it is incredible, The Art of Achieving Ridiculous Goals. Sought-after coach, top-rated speaker after keynoting at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard, twice. 
co-founder with his son, Henry, of the leading community for creative dis disruptors. <laughs> Cite you on that word, disruptors, Steve. Sorry, simsdistillery.com, simsdistillery.com. Steve, welcome. Welcome to the show. I'm a little bit scared now. I've got to live up to that intro. <laughs> I was like, is this going to be the right intro for Steve? He's so real. But, you know, it's really true. And I wanted to lead from that place of truth for me because it is true. Had I not read Blue Fishing, I wouldn't have really discovered how to think differently about my life. And I got to tell you how much I love your new book. I got to hold it up for everybody. Go for stupid total confession. I usually do not read the whole book that my guests have written. And I sat down and read your whole, read your whole book. Well, I, I am a can of air. So, you know, why wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I've been called many things in my life, but never a can of air. So thank you for a being can, original. A can of fresh air, man. A can fresh of fresh air. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I want to talk to you about, let's just dive straight in from your book, because I think it's such like a piece of who you are and how you've also taught me to think, which I mentioned to all the folks who are here live with us on the call. You have a chapter called Amazonification in mm -hmm. this book. And inside of it, you talk about the good and the bad of AI and living in a transactional society. Can you talk about living in a transactional society and what you see the remedy is for that for us? Yeah, uh, I'm looking at a few people here, and um, you're over the age of 21, which means that most people here are older than Google. And the fact is, we knew we knew how to communicate, and then this little thing called Friendster, MySpace, Facebook, and all of these social platforms came along, which basically taught us not to communicate, but to throw statements at each other and hope someone response, which is basically as effective as standing on the top of a, you know, 10-story car park and throwing your banners off the roof and hoping someone goes, oh, I like that. So it's become ineffective and we're moving into a turkey shoot way of communication. We're also learning that the entire planet wants that fix now. You know, if we go on to Prime, if it's going to take us three days to get something from Amazon, we actually worry about it. We moan. Three days, oh, my God, I want it in the morning. So we're actually growing into a world of instant gratification, instant demand, and therefore we're moving into, I want this, give me. We're moving into that transactional society. But here's the problem. We're not transactional. The fact that everyone is here on that Friday morning putting up with me is the fact that you want to communicate in a room of people that do and think and act differently. We naturally want to connect with people. And as and I don't want to get political, and I'll, I'll be careful with my statements, but as um, educated and as woke as we become, the facts are still the facts that we want to connect with someone that we can relate to. We want to communicate, and especially with the people in this, we want to hear stories. We want to hear feelings. We want to hear pictures. We want these things. You don't get that from Amazon. Nobody here has a relationship with Amazon. If you think you do, phone them up tomorrow and go, hey, I'm thinking of changing my toilet roll. Which one shall I get? There's no one you can call, which gives us the beautiful ability and the unfair advantage and you actually mentioned it earlier, which was a shame, and I'll pick up on that in a second. It gives us the natural ability to stand out in a crowd when we actually start to pursue a relationship by asking questions. One of the most confrontational, I won't rant on, but one of the most confrontational words in the planet, and I've got a bunch of writers here, so you may argue this, but the most, yeah, I know. the most confrontational word I feel in the planet today is one word and it's why. Hey, I'd really like to do this. Why? And then shut up. Now I have people that text me, you know, Instagram, Facebook, all of these different kind of ways. And they go, Hey, I'm in LA. I'd love to take you for a beer and I'd love to chat with you. And I will respond with one word. Why? And two things happen. Only ever two things happen. I get the, Oh, you're so arrogant and full of yourself. I thought you were cool. Oh, you're just an egotistical prick. And they go off on it. And then they get other people go, hey, good question. I'm working on a project and I'd like to get your input in it. And I think, and from that last one, I can go, hey, great. This is something I want to get involved in. Or, hey, that isn't my sandpit, but I know someone who it could be. And I'll move on. But we're scared of the word why. 
And my business has grown by people saying to me, hey, I'd like to meet Elton John. And I go, why? And just shut up. And it literally will stop people in their tracks. Now, when you do that, you get past the superficial explanation that people want to hear. It's like if you go up to someone and go, hey, if you want a million dollars, what would you do tomorrow? And they'd go, oh, I'd buy a jet and I'd do it. And if you, if you keep burying into it and going, really? What would you do in a week's time and you've still got that money? What would it be? And you'll get things like, well, my school never had a football pitch. Or my mum's always wanted to go to Florence, you know? Or there's a school, you know, that I don't feel had the best funding. I'm going to help out with that. You get deeper into the core of a person. And today, we're actually scared of showing what really makes us who we are, what we stand for, what we believe, what we love, what we really want to do. And when we do, you then turn around and go, oh, Steve Sims, he's so real. Well, when you acknowledge someone's real or worse, when you acknowledge that they're authentic, you've just acknowledged that most of the planet are not. So you actually have an unfair advantage if you're willing to poke someone and go, hey, I hear what you're saying, but why? And that will get you off the transactional train, and that's where you need to be. You need to focus on the why to get to the real core of the issue. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. That makes so much sense. I love that Elton John story that you told in your book, too. Would you tell us that story about the two guys who wanted to meet Elton John, what they each said differently when they and when you asked them why? No, because it makes me cry. Um, <laughs> makes me so cry. <laughs> I, had a, I had an office. Let's see if we can get through this. And it was so many years ago. I worked for Elton John for about eight years with his uh, party over in Hollywood. And... Um, we had this guy from New York call my office. I had an office in Palm Beach when I used to run a, a concierge firm. I was the, I was the man that can, you know. I was, you know, the, the classic. Hey, I know a guy. I was that guy, um, and I built an entire concierge firm around it. And we had an office in Palm Beach. We were looking after Elton's party, and we get this call from this guy, and it came through to one of my team. And uh, this young lady uh, contacts me in the office and says, "Hey, I got this guy on the phone. He wants to meet Elton John." Um, can you take the call? Now, of course, the one thing that I'm always very, very protective of, um, like it's gold, because it is, is my relationships. If you introduce someone bad to someone, yes, that reflects bad on you. All right. So I'm always very, very careful at those kind of things. You know, you want to go on a walking tour of the Afutsi, that's a completely different situation. You want to sit down with Elon Musk. You've got to make sure it's the right person. So I went, yeah, sure, put it through. You want to meet Elton John? Fine, put it through. So this guy comes through, and he was a very brash, fast-paced New Yorker. And he's coming at me going, hey, yeah, I want to meet Elton John. I hear you're the man that can make it happen. I need two tickets. I want to do it. So I went, hey, you know, I, I hear you. That's great. Fantastic. Why? And he's like, oh, because uh, no one expects it. No one expects to be challenged on a purchase order. So he went, oh, uh, um, uh, well, you know, he's Elton. Everyone knows Elton by just one word. He's one of the greats. He's one of the last icons. He's going to die soon. And I want to get a photograph with him. With him. It really stunned me that he actually used those words, he's going to die soon. It was like he knew something that no one else knew. Kind of concerned me. And I went, okay, okay, I hear you there. Um, Anything else to add to that? No, no, that's no, that's it. But I want you to. And I was like, fantastic. Let me arrange that and I'll come back to you. And I hung up. I didn't take his phone number. I didn't take his email because this guy didn't have enough depth other than an egotistical picture, which I kind of envisioned. He'd take a picture, stick it on his desk, and try to show off to his clients that he's close buddies with Elton John, something like that. Did, it didn't did feel he, right. Did he think it was a transaction? Did he just have the money and, like, here's this Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he kept on saying, uh, you, do you want to take my credit card? And I was like, let me organize it first, and I'm going to come back to you. You know, I don't want to take your credit. Now, I had it on a text. I could have got him in there just by texting someone. But there was something off with him. 
And we all know it's off because I still believe that our gut is smarter than our head. Our eyes, our ears, hey, it sounds right. It looks right. Wow, they're leaning up against a jet. It must be good. But in our gut, we're going, something's off. And today, far too many people have stopped trusting their gut. We need to trust our gut more. Um, I was talking to a racing driver that's racing in Formula One in Vegas uh, this weekend. And I was chatting to him the other day. And he said to him, he said to me, he said, my gut's smarter and faster than my brain is. And so you've got to trust your gut. So I didn't trust this guy. So I let him go, didn't follow up, didn't want to contact him again, didn't bother with any communication. About a month later, we get another phone call come in from a New Yorker. Okay. I'm not hating on New Yorkers, but you know, there's obviously an accent and a style within it. And this this person that picked up the phone contacted me and said, We got this guy on the phone from New York. I kind of think it's a mate of the guy that we had last month that we didn't follow up with. Do you want to take the call? We we actually believed that it the, he was trying a different route to get in. So I went, Yeah, 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 I'll take the call. Completely expecting to just diss it. Guy gets on the phone, again, rash New Yorker. Hey, you know, I hear you're the man of can. I want to get these tickets. I want to meet Elton John. Um, you know, I believe you can make it happen. Uh, how do I pay? I said, hey, you, you want to meet Elton John? Great. You know, I, I really understand that. Because everyone, who wouldn't, you know? But um, why? And again, hit him with the why. It sounds repetitive, but I'd probably have been sponsored by why by now, the amount of times <laughs> I use it in the conversation. I use it in my coaching. I use it in everything. And uh, the guy went quiet. And this is what happens. When you talk to someone, they're talking at this pace. When you question what they're after, all of a sudden the pace goes down. And it does actually sing. I don't know if any of you know Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference. I actually teach from his book in uh, the entertainment Perfect. school. Yep. He's a great lad. And he always talks about getting into your midnight DJ voice. Yeah. You know, hey, you want to meet John? That's absolutely fantastic. But why? Get down into that 2 a.m. radio voice, and they match it. And the guy's all up like this, and I said to him, so why? And he went, I'll tell you why. He said, when I was a kid, my dad used to take me to school and pick me up from school. Never my mom, always my dad. It was our thing. He would take me there, bring me back. But on the way there, in a car that we had, he had a cassette, and the cassette was jammed in the car, and it was Elton John's greatest hits. It was the only thing that we could play. We could never eject it. And we used to sing Elton John as loud as we could to school. And then when he would pick me up, we'd jump in the car, we'd push play, and we'd sing it all the way home again. And then my dad got a new car, and it had one of these things called a CD player. So he went out, and he got Elton John's greatest hits. So we would sing out on John on the way to school and we would sing out on John on the way back. And then I hit my college years and it didn't deter my dad at all. He would still drive me to college singing as loud as he can. And I would turn up at the college and I was embarrassed and I would jump out of that door like a penguin up onto the ice just to get away from it, slam the door. And when I came back uh, at night to get in the car, he'd have Elton John blaring and I would shove it in the car, shove myself in the car, I'd drive, drive. He embarrassed the hell out of me, but that's what he did. And I even used to speak to my mum and say, can you tell him to stop? But he never would. Out on John there, out on John on the way back. And then the day came that I got my own car and I didn't have to have out on John on the way to college. He said it was one of the greatest days of my life. And then my dad died. He said, I'm older now. I got kids. I'm married. He said, and I'll be driving down the road with my kids. I'll have the radio on. And Elton John will come on the radio. My dad sat next to me, screaming his lungs out for three minutes while that tune plays. I want to meet Elton John and say thank you for bringing my dad back to me at random times during the day. And that was the why. So we contacted Elton and uh, we told him this. And she was, we spoke to his husband and um, he passed it on. They said yes. And we went to the party and I introduced him and the party was loud. And he leant into it and he started telling this story and his by his gestures and his, you know, and all this. I could know exactly where the point of the story was. And I saw him and Elton well up and they just hugged. And that's a why. And I hate you for making me tell that story. And that was like about 10 years ago and it still chokes me. I love that story so much. And as you're, 
telling it, I'm thinking about all the writers, you know, who listen to the show and who are here with us live. And one of the things writers really struggle with is some of them are introverted. Then they have like, they go from writing the story that is so deep in their heart, like your Elton John story. And then they have to get into a room and sell it to a bunch of executives and they pitch. And the, um, the, the terrifying moment of like, oh my God, how do I convey what's in my heart to this group of people who could possibly wave a magic wand and like make my biggest dreams come true? What advice do you have to the writers who want to harness that why and somehow bring it out and put it in the front window for the folks they're talking to who could buy their shows, buy their movies? So for a start, you've got an advantage. Um, as as you know, uh, and I've declared it many, many times, I'm an introvert that plays an expressive very, very well. And I speak on stages all over the planet. Um, I just hosted one of my mastermind speakeasy events in New Orleans, uh, handpicked 40 to 50 people that we accept to come along. Um, and I, come I came back from that Wednesday and I didn't talk to anyone until I think it was Tuesday of this week. So introverts will get zapped of that energy. But the beautiful thing about an introvert is we don't move unless there's a point. You know, there's got to be a reason or we don't do it. The thing about ego people and the things about expressive people is if they got a round of applause, they'd stand on stage and drop their pants. As long as everyone's cheering at them, they're good with it. As introverts, we've got to have a point. If there's no point, don't do it, okay? It, it, when you walk into a, a networking event, I hate networking events. Are they not the 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 definition of hell itself? Cringe. Into a net, oh, it's cringeworthy. But a good introvert will identify why they're there. Now, if I said to all, all of you now, hey, if you walk down Ventura Boulevard naked with the head of a donkey on you, and you're going to get this gig, every single one of you would be like, all right, I know what i got to do to get what." There's a point. You may be uncomfortable, but you can see the point now. Yeah, <laughs> And that's the thing, obviously that's a very uh, far-stretched version, but the point of, of it is, when I walk on stage, and at the moment I'm, I'm redoing a house up here in Tarzana, and it's, you know, it's an old house and it needs a lot of restoration. Of course, inflation's made everything 20 30% more expensive. So I'm doing a lot of speaking gigs at the moment because they pay for my kitchen. They mm. pay for my windows. They pay. There's a point. The good thing about introverts is you start off being able to quantify what is the point of me being into this room. Now, once you know what the point of it is, hey, to get my script out there, to get my story out there, to have it impact other people, once you know what the point is, then it's a case of reverse engineering. It Just like Elon Musk did when he said, I want to go to space. Well, now I know the goal. How do I make that happen? You just got to backstep. And the, the thing is, and it is, it's kind of weird because you specialize it. You specialize in the art of communication. You specialize in creating characters. You specialize in creating a story. And nine times out of 10, you're really bad at operating it for you. I know a lot of people in Silicon Valley is a prime example. You've got these incredibly intelligent people that have got these amazing solutions to people's problems but they fall apart when communicating it to someone that's going to venture it and actually get it out into the public. True. You've got to think about, okay, you know the why, you know the point, you know what you've got. Maybe you build a character for yourself that you act the part when you're in there. Because brilliant ideas are a waste of time unless you can communicate it to other people. A great script, a great story, a great character is a waste of space unless you can actually picture it and frame it to the person in front of you. The art of communication is absolutely everything. And again, we, we, we spoke, Kaya said it earlier, you don't want to be better than the last person, you want to be different. Lady Gaga, I'm sorry, I mean, you can hate me later. She ain't the best singer in the planet, but she's different. And she's got your attention. One of the top artists of the 80s was Andy Warhol, yeah. who would just screen print a can of soup and then screen print it again another 20 times. And he became one of the world's most Imagine him going to heaven and being next to Picasso and Picasso going, you call yourself an artist? <laughs> You know, that's always made me kind of like smirk there. We don't want to be better. We want to be different. We want to stand out. 
So you've got to identify what makes you stand out. I went to a, a mortgage convention um, years ago, a couple of years ago, um, and uh, the whole thing was on personal branding. And I said to uh, when I walked on the stage, I said, I want every guy in a blue suit and a blue shirt to stand up. Basically, two thirds of the crowd stood up. I said, you've come to a room to find out how you can stand out. And the first thing you've done is fit in. That's your first problem. You know, so you've got to think about how you can identify yourself and, and reveal yourself. And I'm telling you, it's going to be uncomfortable. But that's where the growth comes from. And let's be serious. You're probably not going to get the gig in any case. So what are you losing by actually pushing yourself out there to challenge it? You know, give, let yourself off the hook. Yeah, there's courage in that. You've all got courage. You've all got courage. You are in one of the toughest industries in the planet, in one of the most egotistical places in the planet, and you're still doing what you're doing. That's crazy for a start. So maybe you're crazy enough to do things differently. <laughs> I love that. That's so great. Let's talk about relationships. I love all the tips you gave in blue fishing about how to just build an authentic relationship and send the handwritten card. You've sent uh, receipts from bars to some of your clients. Hey, I was thinking about you. <laughs> like bizarre ways that like totally stand out that are that feel organic, that feel natural, that feel real. Real. When I was a kid, I had pen pals and you, you would handwrite somebody a letter. And that art is so lost today. The art of relationships is really being lost today. And it's something I teach a lot about, especially in Hollywood, because it is a town of relationships. It's a hundred year old industry. You got to learn how to pick up the phone. You got to learn how to connect with people. What advice do you have for really building meaningful professional relationships? It's also the home of gatekeepers. Right. And so, you know, you want to know how you're sitting there going, well, how do I actually get past the gatekeeper to someone that can actually take me seriously? Now, you saying about the pen pals and you saying about, you know, that's a that's an art form that's been lost and people don't. We've still got the triggers of us being children. You know, play a little game with me. How many of you here use Amazon on a regular basis? Just put your hand up. Just show me if you use it. How many of you get excited when an Amazon package turns up? Everything. Okay. <laughs> Here's the dumb thing. You already know what it is because you ordered it. Okay. But the trigger in us sees that box and all of a sudden we're a five-year-old on our birthday. Yeah. What is it? Dopamine hit for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know it's toilet roll. But you're so excited to get it and you rip it open. And that's the exact same thing with a note. Now, I didn't plan it. I didn't know what it was. I literally run out of stationery and I needed to send someone something. And they wanted something when I was in Rome. And while I was at the concierge, I said, look, can you give me 20 envelopes and 20 uh, pieces of stationery? And I can't remember what it was I sent to my friend. But I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I just sent a letter to some of my clients? So I was in the Hotel de Russi in Rome. And I sent my clients a note. And it was just in there going, hey, I'm in Rome, but I just wanted to know, you to know I'm thinking of you, Steve. You know? And then I would send it. Okay? So it comes, it comes with an envelope with a hotel on it. Tell me that's not going to make you curious. Secondly, it's handwritten on the front. This is an important part. There's loads of these computers that look as though it's handwriting. But you know when there's pressure of a pen put on an envelope. You know the difference. You can see the difference. And here's a real key one. And I actually even spoke about this in the book. When you put the stamp on that top right-hand corner, squiff it. Okay? Kick it out. A, a machine will place that stamp perfectly. A human being will just throw a stamp up there as though it's irrelevant. But you're now showing your imperfection. And your imperfections are your perfections. I've even got I've even got freaking cups that say that, you know? So <laughs> I'm, I'm very keen on showing and revealing that you are a human being. Now, here was the funny thing that happened. I sent out those 20 envelopes. I got 20 texts and emails and a few of them phone calls. 
every single one went through. So then what I started doing was, and I travel a lot, um, I started doing this on a regular basis. And I would get these envelopes and I would get this stationery and I would come home and I would make up something like, hey, we haven't spoken for a while, but I didn't want you to think that I wasn't thinking about our next project. When's the best time for us to communicate? Just text me at this number and let's plan a time. That's vague enough to basically be sent to anybody, isn't it? Now, I have kids, and I am a great advocate for child labor. So I won't even write these things. I and will... espionage, and espionage. Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> what I will do is I will give all of these envelopes and these, these letters and a scribble of what I want written, and George, Henry, or Lily will actually write these letters and post them out. They know about squiffing the stamp. They know about making sure it's not perfect, go diagonal on the letter, all of that kind of stuff. Now, here's the beautiful thing. When you get a handwritten letter and you've got a pile of other posts and you can see that it's actually been handwritten, and especially if it's from a hotel, because people go, why is someone sending me a hotel? You know, <laughs> And we're in Hollywood, so oh, you can <laughs> yeah you can you can run down to a local hotel here in Italy. Just say, hey, I'm in I'm in the uh, the restaurant. Just make it. I need five envelopes and five. Hotels love to give you this stuff, okay? But here's the beautiful thing: the gatekeepers think it's a personal letter, and they won't touch it. So they so I suddenly started thinking, I wonder if this can get to people that I couldn't get hold of. So I would start doing that. And then I would get kind of, as Keith was saying, I would get kind of a bit creative with the things I would be in there. And I'd be in, in a bar, and then on the back of the bar tab, I'd write, look, I had a few whiskeys tonight, but two of them I was thinking of you. When can we talk? And I'd write that on the back of the, the receipt, shove that in the envelope, and send that off. So when they open up the envelope, all they've got is my bar tab from Spargo and me writing something on the back of it. But you know, the funny thing is, it was creative, it was humorous, and it got through the gatekeeper. And then I found my hit rate was 80%. And I started getting more creative with the different things I would send. Never, ever, ever send anything expensive. If you're going to send a gift, top it out at like 10 bucks. You know, when 9-11 happened, and none of us could go on the aircraft with anything metal, I started sending out to my clients uh, uh, the... Um, plastic shoehorns so that they could kick their shoes off when they're flying and put it back on again because that metal ones could no longer go on the plane because they were right. deemed as a dangerous weapon. And you could buy three of those for like nine bucks <laughs> and I would send one. <laughs> the amount of people that have actually, I, I went to a party, I think it was like four years ago and I sold my concierge firm ages ago. Um, and I went to a party about four years ago and I met up with a client of mine. It was in Paris. I met up with a client of mine from the Netherlands that was at this party. And I knew he was going to be at the party. And he introduced me as the shoehorn guy. Shoehorn guy. <laughs> shoehorn guy. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's, that's nice. He's like, no, it's brilliant. He said, and then he went into why it happened, how it happened. And the this was the final bit. The kind of thought Steve has in the attention to detail. If he can do this. For my shoes, imagine what he can do for you. That's how he introduced me to the people in this party. So I think if you do that with the – and, again, you've got nothing to lose. How much does the stationery cost? How much does the the uh, uh, the envelopes cost? Nothing. You're in the hotel. Literally in my studio, I've got a stack of envelopes. I took a whole bunch back from New Orleans with me, and I will just send these out randomly. And all it's going to cost you is the stamp. And if you were to send it out going, hey, I just wanted to, I was traveling and I just wondered, did you get the chance to take a look at X? Send me a text and let's chat. Yeah, that's how, to, that's how to follow up to somebody who is yeah. going to read your screenplay. That's how you send a follow up to an executive you took the general meeting with. Make sure you get the address to send it to that personal note. I was thinking about you. I'm wondering what's happening with you and your dog. And uh, if your kid, yeah. your kid got that job that they were hoping for and, uh, you know, call me back when you've read the script. Here's my number. Send me a text. I went to a client and he had a lot of Porsche pictures. Um, he wasn't a client at the time, but I was talking to him and he was quite cold. Um, 
And I think that that's we should go into that about the coldness of today. But yeah. I went into this client and he was quite cold with me, but I saw he had loads of vintage Porsche pictures. And I said to him, what's with the Porsches? And he said, they're the greatest cars ever. And I just love the old Porsches. And he was like as flippant as that with me. And so when I went home, I subscribed him to a vintage Porsche 911 magazine. Now, magazines are going out of business. And this thing cost me for yearly membership. I think it was like 19 bucks. <laughs> and then I sent him a letter going, by the way, you're going to get this magazine in the post. You told me it was important to you. So it's important to me. Enjoy the magazine. Now, he got the magazine. He called me back. He became a client. And here's the thing. He already subscribed to that magazine. So he didn't need two, but it was the attention to detail that got him to want to communicate with me just by asking that question. And I didn't care what the response was. I was locked and loaded on something he wanted, and I just wanted to satisfy something that he loved. I love that. I have a story for you about a letter that I sent after I read Blue Fishing. I don't know if you know that I used to work for comedian Gary Shandling. It was a number of years ago, maybe like 20 years ago now. It's so crazy the time that goes by. And we lost Gary in 2016. It was so painful for me and for all of us who knew Gary. And I had lost touch with Gary. I had no contact with anybody in his life because they're all mega celebrities. They're all super famous. And I just wanted to find out where where is Gary buried? I didn't even have that information. And I wanted to be able to know like where do you go visit Gary now? <laughs> you know? And um I knew I had been introduced to Gary's best friend, a man named Gavin DeBecker. And Gavin runs private security for people like Jeff Bezos and every celebrity on the planet, Brooke Shields and others, who's recently in the Brooke Shields documentary. And I thought, you know, if anybody that I could reach would be um, helpful, I'd love to be able to reach Gavin. Gavin runs private security, though. He's got a major firm. He doesn't have a phone number that's listed, an address that's listed, anywhere that you could possibly reach him. So I thought, you know, I just want to write him a personal letter and just tell him how much I love Gary, how much Gary meant to me, and uh, and see if I could find out this information about where Gary is buried. Um, no phone number, no way of reaching him. So I sent a short personal letter to his business address, to his office in Los Angeles. He's got 5,000 employees. And I figured, you know, I'll never hear from anything again, but it gave me a sense of peace and closure and love reaching out um, from my heart to somebody who meant so much to me about, about Gary at that time. And like, I forgot about it. And two months went by and I get this email from Gavin and he said, I got your letter. It meant so much to me. I was so happy to hear from you. It was, you know, so meaningful that, you know, your words about Gary really touched me. And um, it was, it, it actually built our relationship and our friendship. And I'm still in touch with Gavin to this day because of the personal note that his, all of his gatekeepers made sure that he got that he opened somewhere on one of his private jets off in the middle of you know the world <laughs> flying from one important location to the other like it feels like when you come from your heart when something is important you know i got to know oh gary's ashes were spread in hawaii and i'm able to go and visit and have that sense of connection there and like that was that power of that personal note that no email that no phone call would have ever done the same Again, it, it drags it right back down to our core personality, our, our, our core reason for living. We want to connect and surround ourselves with like-minded individuals. And it doesn't matter how rich we get. It doesn't matter if we're on private jets. And in fact, my, my unicorn from dealing with some of the most powerful people in the planet, I remember someone, and I won't mention his name, but you would know him. He told me a joke and it wasn't funny. And I said, well, that sucks. It's a good job. It's not your day job. And he went, you know, I've told that joke four times today and every single one of my teams laughed. And he went, that's why I have you here. Because when you, the higher you, you get. Him. You didn't yes him. You weren't. That's all, you, that's all they do. They don't want. The point was that person got to see and hear the real you, not the precocious ass kissing. Hey, I'd love to do just, hey, this is how it is. This is good. You know it's good. Now we've just got to work out how we both do it. You know, the, the bluntness. Again, that word real, authenticity. It's scary, but in today's world, and let's get on the coldness, in today's world, we're terrified of being real, aren't we? 
Now, you guys know it better than I do. We've gone through COVID that wrecked our ability to communicate. Bullshit. We still had Zoom. We still had phone. We had more ways to communicate than we've ever had in our whole world, but we've never been more disconnected. But during COVID, everyone's sitting there going, oh, I can't go out. I can't go to the gym. When that badass wasn't going to the gym before COVID, it became the period of excuses. And then during that period where we were all sorry that we couldn't get together, the gotcha society and the cancel culture were born. Those two societies were born in the worst time of our global world. Never before, ever in history, has the entire world felt the same thing. And all of a sudden, we only not don't know how to communicate because COVID has kind of beaten that habit out of us, but we're now scared to communicate in, some, in case someone takes it the wrong way and cancels us. Really true. Or someone finds that picture that you dressed up as a penguin in 1980 and how disrespectful it was to penguins back there. Let's cancel him. <laughs> so what we've done now is we've got terrified to communicate. Now, if you marry the two things together, we're terrified to communicate, but we all know we need to communicate. We're lonelier than ever. Than ever. Suicide rates have never been higher and they're only going up. You've got to break the mold. If I say something stupid, I want something, which is often, I want someone to turn around and go, do you know, Steve, that's a little bit ignorant. I go, great. Why is it? Teach me. Educate me. Grow me. I'm ready. But we're actually fighting to do that. And a lot of you out there, you're writers. You, you know this. And you, you mentioned about the very famous comedian. As a speaker, there's one. How many of you here actually speak for a living? The answer should be all of you, because anytime you walk into a room and you pitch your product, you're speaking for a living. If your speaking sucks, you ain't got the deal. So you're all speaking for a living. Now, I go on stages all over the planet. Trust me, nervous as hell. I plug some Pearl Jam in, I blast me head out, and then I literally get a tap on the shoulder, I drop the earbuds, and I hit the stage while I'm pumped. I have to, you know? And then I get off the stage and I run away, you know, <laughs> because I'm an introvert and I, I spend it all out on that stage. Now we all know as a speaker, whether you're in a room with 10 people or whether you're on Wembley Stadium, we all know the first rule of speaking, know your audience. We all know that, we've all heard it. But I was speaking to a comedian friend of mine once and he said, know the temperature of the room. That's the second rule. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, as a speaker, you could go on. And the person that spoke with you, uh, spoke before, could have sucked. And the entire room hates the speech. And you've now got to not only kind of elevate them, but you've got to get them up to normal before you take it further. That's right. And in today's world, I get these emojis on this. I don't know what's going on with this. Um, but whenever we speak in a room, in a one-on-one -on -one meeting, We've got to get an understanding of the temperature of that room. And I think that's where so many people get it wrong. They go, I know the audience. They walk into the room and they go, I know you need this. Yes, you need it. You've got to gauge the temperature of the room. And that is the first talent in communication. Yeah, and you can't get that temperature unless you're connected to the person you're talking to. You have to connect. You have to be able to feel them, read them, know where you're coming from. Then you can begin. And it's not tough. How many of you here are in a relationship? Everybody's right. answer go up. You all have a relationship. <laughs> well, there you go. How many times do you walk into a room and whether it be your best mate, your mum, your auntie, your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and you know they're off. No words have been spoken, but you know something's wrong. Yeah. That's a gut reaction. That's a sense. When you walk in and you're about to pitch your product and you can sense that the room's not you know, a bit down, then why don't you address the elephant and go, hey, feeling a little bit of a vibe. Did you have a bad pitch a few moments ago? Did you have a bad conversation? Something gone on, should I be aware of? Or, you know, should we book this for next week or something? I've done that. And you'd be amazed how many times they go, I'm sorry. We had this fellow in like 10 minutes ago, or, you know, Susie just got a phone call and something bad happened with her kids at the school. I am so sorry about that, Susie. Look, family first. Shall I come back next week? 
And then you can come back next week and go, hey, before we get Susie, how's the family? How's, how's the kids? Family? That's right. You know, and you're, you're banging, you know, you're just paying attention to the most important thing that every single one of us want to be seen, noticed, heard, recognized, related to. And I'm giving that. As a human being, absolutely. You know, the show is called Hollywood Wolfpack for a reason, because I'm teaching my students how to build, how do you grow your wolf pack? How do you find yeah. your pack? So Steve, who's in your wolf pack? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, my. So I'm very, very focused on my room. Um, and the worst thing in the planet is cheerleaders. They, you know, they look great in a, in a short skirt. But other than that, they're a waste of space. I don't want to surround myself with people going, oh, Steve, you're so wonderful. I want people going, why are you doing that, Steve? You know, is that the best use of your effort? Can you really do so? Why are you? You're trying to do that. Is that really the best use of your unicorn? So I constantly cultivate my room and my room can be a facebook group it can be a zoom call it could be my my private events it could be the people that i go out with at night now a lot of you will have friends and this is a very important and tough thing for you to do but i want you to think about it when you're out with your friends and you're having coffee or drinks at a local bar or something like that and you start getting into your project and what you want to do and i don't want to just make this a screenplay i want to make this like you know a merch uh, enterprise as well and i want to franchise it over and i want to and you get into that conversation do your friends look at you with excitement and support or do they look at you like you're crazy and go whoa 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 Call the Jets. You know, let's get the first thing done first. And you find that you have to dilute your energy and dreams and passion to that level. That's the wrong table to be at. That's right. I want to make sure that every room I'm at, I, the true story, you know, Jay Abraham, don't you? Yeah. So Jay, Jay, Jay was a neighbor of mine and I had this project I wanted him to invest in. And uh, so he called me over to his house. I went through this brilliant pitch. Absolutely. Fun. I thought it was a world. I should have got an Oscar for this pitch. <laughs> and at the end of my pitch, I looked at Jay and Jay was there kind of like just stroking this thing. He calls a goatee. I don't think he can grow a full one. And he's just like stroking it like this. And I'm like, well, and he went, and I said, what does that mean, Jay? And he went, well, knowing you, your credibility, what you're capable of, the people you know. I was just expecting more. Damn. That, that hit me like a shot in the testes. You know, I suddenly realized that I had sold myself short to try and make it an easy yes when people don't want the easy yes. They want the miraculous, look at this, come on this journey with me. It's huge. And when I think of some of the things I've, I've got people married in the Vatican by the Pope. I've closed museums down in Florence. I can't speak it's Italian, but that hasn't got in the way of me getting Andrea Pacelli to come in and serenade my clients over pasta. I've not allowed other people's standards and limitations to get in the way of me setting a ridiculous goal and then getting it. And sadly, most of you here, the biggest problem you have, well, it's two. One, as we all know, the biggest problem we got in our life is usually us. Our short-sightedness, our short-mindedness, our settling, those kind of things, listening to the doubt, playing up with excuses. But the second excuse is your room. And if you're not in the right room of people that challenge and push you, then you need to change your room. Who do you lean on in your wolf pack when you're having a moment of like you're scared or your self-doubt is really loud? Who do you pick up the phone and talk to? Oh, I've got countless people. Thankfully, I've made a focus of that. It could, it, thankfully, it could be my wife. My wife and I, we've been together. I was 17. She was 16. And for some ridiculous reason, she's still with me. Um, something that I will never be dumb enough to question. Oh, um, but, yeah. Um, but I have people. 
Um, and I will I will phone up, you know, Roland Frazier. The good thing is I've got some pretty pretty big people in the in terms of name recognition and some people that just know how to get me to act differently. So they haven't got to be famous. It could be your next door neighbor. I've got a biker in London that I've known since I was a kid. He's got no money. Every time I'm in London, I know for a fact I'm paying for the food and the drink, but he just knows how to motivate me. And every now and then I'll be a case of, hey, how you doing, Colin? You know, this is going on. And he'd be like, so why are you settling for that? And just that one word, why are you settling? I'll be like, oh, I did, didn't I? He's like, fuck off. Call me when you get it right. And I'll be like, all right, all right. So you need those people around you that are going to poke the bruise. And if they're not, then they're not your people. I absolutely love that. Your um, your phrase, I love too, the, the little hinges that swing the big doors. In Hollywood, in the entertainment industry, for the creatives, what are some of those little hinges that'll help them swing the big doors of being able to really go for the most audacious, ridiculous, stupid goals that they have? But do they? That, that If they did what you've just said, then they would stand out. A lot of the times you go in with all the idea that you're going to lay it out. You're going to plant it on them. You've got every bit of reason why and passion that this should happen, but you dilute it before you walk through the door. And a lot of the times we don't deliver like we want to deliver. Um, there's a there's a story that I told in my in my in my first book. I I told the story about um, doing the thing with Bocelli. In my second book, Go for Stupid, I actually told them how it happened, and the simple way that it happened. And you haven't got to buy the book because I'll give you this answer now. Was in the book I tell about how I got this, and I actually asked the curator, "How did I?" Managed to pull it off because I'm in the ho I'm in the um, museum. It's shut down. I'm stood at the side of Michelangelo's David. Andrea Bocelli is messing around on the piano. The chef's getting the table ready. I've got everything. And I was like, how the hell did I pull this off? And the creator, the, the curator of the museum just looked at me and he went, you asked. And I realized quite honestly, most of the time, and I even do this as my, one of my speeches, most of the time we fail to ask the things that we want. We'll ask for the things that we think we can get. We'll ask for the things that we possibly, maybe are achievable that could be done. We don't ask for the ridiculous. But do you know what happens when you ask for the ridiculous? Nine times out of 10, you won't get it. But they'll give you something else which will still be 200% higher than what you first would have asked for. And you get to fail up. And the amount of times I've constantly asked, hey, Elton, can you sing this video to my client for birthday? And he's gone, no. You know, okay, fair enough. And then I've asked again, and I've asked again. I've asked someone else. And then all of a sudden you start getting it. And then you go, hey, can I have this? Because so-and-so did it. And they'll be like, all right, then. And you start building up that credibility train. You start building up that momentum. And the fact is that momentum and that credibility, it's only good for you. Because when you walk into that room, fully armed, that you can do this. Do you remember we spoke earlier about when you're in a relationship and you can sense when they're off? Well, these people can sense now that you're not to be fucked with and you're carrying and when you can walk into, and again, I'm going to repeat it, and it's going to be hard for you to believe. I'm an introvert. I guarantee you after this podcast, <laughs> I'm going to go and make, I know, thanks for laughing. Um, I'm going to go and make a cappuccino, and I'm not going to talk to it. I'll put the radio on, I'll play with the dogs, and I'll go for a walk around. And I'll get, I've got three podcasts today, and I'm telling you, tonight I'm going to hit a couple of old fashions and chill, because they wear it out of me. But yeah. I want you guys to stop settling and start demanding. And it's a different kind of mindset. And when when you walk into the room and you've got that, people will pick up on it. You're not like asking for permission. Oh, please come in from please. a small place. You know, You're not a victim. They'll let you nah. survive. You're an asset. You are a solution to that problem. Let's be blunt. What do they want? 
They want a top seller. They want eyeballs. They want attention. You are a solution to that problem. Congratulations. You made a smart decision today because you allowed yourself to have time with me. Now, you may not say that, but in your head, you need to be. That's got to be where you're coming from. People will sense it. People will pick up on it. That's absolutely true. But you said you do a lot of podcasts. I'm in your Facebook group. I know that you speak on a lot of stages. You do a lot of these types of podcasts. I'm curious, what question do you wish somebody would ask you that nobody is asking you? I think I've done so many that, to be honest with you, 90% of the time, um, the one-on-one podcasts I don't really like much. Um, Because it's like talking to yourself and there's nothing worse than having a massive box of you looking (laughs) back at yourself. It's like, yeah, it's like horrible. Nine times out of 10 when I do this, I'll turn my camera um, off of me being able to see it so I get to see all the other faces. Um, I like communities. I do that too. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I love to see I, I pray that there's someone out here, and most of you have still been here for the entire hour. I'm praying that you're not just poor or bored and had nothing else to do, but you actually wanted to do something with this. And I'm praying that you are going to pick an envelope up from a local hotel. You are going to challenge more for yourself. You're going to push the boundaries. You're going to go in and set yourself a ridiculous. I'm just praying that you're going to do one damn thing that is going to change your, your movement by two degrees and put you in a completely different place. For everybody listening, I want you to think about what's the one thing that you're going to do immediately after listening to this podcast, after hearing Steve. He dropped so many gold nuggets of ideas and thoughts and things. For those of you who are here live on the call, drop it in the chat. What are you going to do? Not just think about what's the thing that you're going to do. We're coming into Christmas. It's the holiday season. It's the perfect time to do that reaching out, those real organic connections. How can you get creative and even take what Steve suggested and take it to the next level for yourself and make it your signature move? What could you do that feels authentic and real for you that can make that meaningful connection to others who are in your wolf pack? Steve, I know you got a special gift for our listeners. What have you got for folks? Yeah, can I give one little tip quickly? Oh, 100%, um, absolutely. All right, we're in November at the moment. We haven't even hit Thanksgiving, okay? And we're already starting to see Christmas tunes and Christmas decorations and stuff like that up. Here's something I urge you to do, because I did this in October and I do it every October. I send out Christmas cards in October, okay? I never, ever send out a Christmas card in November because so is DLP and your local gardener and your milkman and if anyone has a milkman anymore, but you know what I mean? You get all of these Christmas cards from people that really don't matter. And they all end up on your, on your counter in December. If you send them in October and November and just go, Hey, I wanted to make sure that you realized how important you were to me by me making sure that I was the first person to send you a Christmas card. All the best. And I send out some Christmas. I will be honest with you. Mine are usually quite, you know, cheeky. Um, I got some really good ones this year. I had one of my favorite ones was um, I think of you and I touch my elf. I really liked that one. I thought it was funny as hell. So there's all these really silly Christmas cards, you know, um, you may be on the naughty list, but let's not talk about that. You know, just things like that in these Christmas cards and you can get them off Etsy where they're like handmade. They don't have Hallmark on them. Oh, I love that. On Etsy. Yeah, get, them, get them off Etsy because then some of them are a little bit, be a bit off and a bit more homey and a bit more unique. Okay. But send them out now before everyone else starts doing it. Um, yeah. I don't want you to buy the book. Um, if you go to goforstupid.com, you can actually see me read my book on video, have it playing in the background on your screen, speed it up one and a half times and you'll be able to go through it quick, but you don't even have to buy the book. All right. So that'll help you there. And if you want to follow me on Instagram or anywhere like that, I'm Steve D Sims everywhere. Don't forget the D for dashing. And there's only one M in Sims, but yeah, go and grab the book, do something with it. Don't waste your time or mine. And hopefully it'll help. Steve loved having you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. That's a pleasure. Thanks.
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander can be reached on Twitter for your questions or comments at This Is Kaya. Get entertainment business career training as well as a free special report, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you. Thank you.